the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope uh, your new year is off to a good start. And um, I wish you a healthy, happy, blessed 2024 to you and your family. A good program to uh, start us out. Uh, We're going to be talking with a friend of the program from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, The last couple years, EJ Antoni has uh, come on occasionally and um, shed some of his light and wisdom. Uh, We're going to continue that into 2024. EJ is going to come along in just a little bit. We'll be talking about, unfortunately, $34 trillion in debt. $34 trillion in debt. So um, that's a number that uh, we never thought that we would see. Um, It's a number that is uh, not sustainable. Just the interest on the debt alone um, is uh, is monstrous. Uh, You know, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, depending on where interest rates are. And then um, we're also going to be talking about um, what we see as far as a decay in uh, so many cities, the overspending in particular, um, the horrible management um, by elected and appointed officials and bureaucrats, also the crime and, of course, the drugs and everything that goes along with that. But what does that mean financially? We're going to jump into uh, a little bit of that uh, subject matter with EJ as well. Um, as I mentioned, uh, it's the top story. Uh, we've been talking about it not just for this past year, but for years. The uh, debt that this country is racking up is not sustainable. Um, it's horrific. You know, most of the people listening to the program will be okay, probably. You know, if you're if you're 45, 50 and over, you're probably going to be fine. It's um, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that literally it's going to be like a rock. It's just going to be dropped on them um, because they're going to have to really pay the consequences for the greed and the lust for power and these people that sell their souls. Uh, and we, we see it time and time again. We'll see how we start out this new year with the new Congress. You know, um, I was asked uh, by Bob Miller earlier this week, uh, you know, what do I think should happen when Congress kind of reconvenes and what would get us in a better spot? It's no different than my answer, you know, this time last year. You've got to close the border for security purposes. Uh, first and foremost, you can't have all these illegal immigrants coming into the country like they are. They have to actually be turned around and pushed back out. They have to be deported. Um, so you've got to you've got to fix the border. You've got to stop and fix the border is a big word. I get it. Um, but I guess the first thing in fixing the border is close it. Period. And then start figuring out a way to get rid of all the people that came in here illegally. Um, And by God's grace, we're going to get rid of the really bad people that are here that are going to inflict harm on, um, on the U.S. citizen. 
the the patriotic Americans that really care about this country. The second thing is you've got to stop the spending, right? I mean, we just talked about it, $34 trillion in debt. And then these clowns are saying that they want this uh, bill that they've been talking about trying to ram through like they tried in December. Luckily, it didn't happen. It happened last uh, in 2022. And uh, we really got taken to the cleaners on that one. I think it was December 22nd, right? In the, the darkness of night. Uh, they passed this horrific omnibus bill, and um, that just added to all of our pain and, um, and, and continued to harm our country. And they tried to do it again. We want money for Ukraine. We want money for Israel. And then we'll give you a little bit of money for the border, which really isn't to secure the border, but instead just to get their people in who they hope is going to be their voting base um, enlarged. Uh, get them processed quicker. That's really what that's about. So um, those are the two things. Close the border, stop the spending. And by the way, I'll say it again, and I'll continue to say it. Shut the government down. Nobody cares that really understands. It just goes to show when it's happened in the past, it didn't mean anything the sun came up the next day. The world didn't stop spinning. If anything, it just goes to show the largesse of the government and how wasteful they are. And um, that's what needs to be turned around. So, but yeah, $34 trillion in debt for the first time ever. Um, you know, of course, the national debt measures what the U.S. owes its creditors. Um, it did flip uh, this past week uh Two thirty-four trillion. Uh, that was according to the Treasury Department. They had to admit it. Um, this, you know, this is historic and it's so dangerous. And like I said, let it happen. Um, and that way, we get a reminder of just how um, large and wasteful the government is. Um, and unfortunately, the national debt that thirty-four trillion right now. And by the way, that does not include. Um, how we're upside down on Medicare and uh, Social Security and the other entitlement programs uh, that are insolvent, that we get told every year by the trustees that it's insolvent. It's not going to last. It's going to go bankrupt, but they don't want to talk about anything like that. You know, they want to just keep spending money, which, again, they, they sell their souls. That's what this comes down to. They, they make a decision to enrich themselves and hurt this country. And that's why we are where we are. But, yeah, unfortunately, $34 trillion, We're going to talk about that more uh, with my guests in just a little bit. And, you know, it's no big surprise that we saw U.S. bankruptcy filings surge last year by 18%. High interest rates, high inflation, toughing, uh, tougher uh lending standards by banks. Uh, Part of that was because of the bank failures that we saw in the spring of 2023. Again, poor management. um, But you have to remember also the Federal Reserve had people inside those banks, right? So you have, in, in, in a lot of banks, you have literally Federal Reserve officials embedded there, and you have the FDIC and all these people that are, again, government supposed to take care of things. And they're supposed to protect you and, and make sure that everything's done right. It happened right under their nose. 
they're sitting in the building, these banks that are doing business incorrectly that led to bank failures that you had to bail out. I know they say the FDIC and we're just going to raise the fees on the banks that pay into the FDIC. Who do you think the bank's going to pass that fee on to? Do they think you're that stupid? So they, they're they not doing their jobs, obviously. So again, when the government shuts down, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I'll continue praying like I do every day for the first responders and for all those folks that, um, you know, that take care of us and protect us and really the hard workers. They're the ones that, that are out there getting the job done every day and care about the country and their communities. But, you know... Of course, our military, um, which unfortunately was just horrific management there as well uh, with what they're trying to do to to uh, to our our military. But um, yeah, you've got these these debts. Uh, you've got the bankruptcies. Um, the, un- unfortunately, there these bankruptcy cases are expected to continue to climb in 2024. We've talked about this before, uh, you know, the household debt. It was at a record high. The last number we got was for the end of the third quarter, $17.3 trillion of household debt, according to the uh, New York Federal Reserve uh, Bank. That's not good. But unfortunately, it's necessary for people who have to put stuff on their credit card because inflation is so high. Delinquency rates are edging higher. Repossessions, it's just not good. And it needs to get better. And we need to be a big part of that with what we know and who we vote for and what we demand. And I don't care if they've got a D or an R behind their name because so many R's sold us out over the years. Not near as many as the D's. But um, so many of those that say that they're fiscal and morally conservative and all the other, they're not. They get a case of that Potomac fever. And like I said, they'll sell their souls too. And what's terrible is the next day they'll go on TV and act like, you know, talk just the opposite of what they did. At least the Democrats own it and basically admit they don't care what happens to the country. You know, one of the deals we talked about last year was Twitter. Um, And, um, well, actually, that was 2022, late 2022. But um, according to one of the um, parties involved in that sale, um, Twitter, which is now known as X, is worth 71% less than when Eli Musk bought it in late 2022. That's according to Fidelity. So, you know, Musk got together $44 billion to buy um, Twitter X, and uh, Fidelity was part of the investment group that helped Musk take over Twitter. So, um, you know, he had money of his own, and then he financed the rest with debt. But basically, you know, Fidelity, which, again, as I said, was part of that, has... um, the value of that company is down over 70%. I mean, that's a that's a big number. That's hard to come back for, especially when you're talking about $44 billion as far as the cost, the acquisition cost. 
So uh, Musk is, you know, he's he's kind of holding his own uh, to a certain extent with free speech. Um, as I've mentioned before, and in talking on the Morning News Express with Bob and Chris, um, he some of these um, advertisers and, and Disney comes to mind. Bob Iger um, said something bad about Elon and and what he's doing at X, and he was going to take their advertising off. So that there would wouldn't be Disney uh, advertising, which Disney, of course, has all their own problems. But you know, Musk basically is just told him to. I I can't repeat it on on radio, but you know, he told him where to go and what to do and the whole deal. Man, he didn't hold anything back. So that's part of the problem that Musk is having is he's losing advertisers because. He's trying to support free speech much more than Jack Dorsey ever did. So, um, you know, that's 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 an issue. Something else, unfortunately, that we saw um, this week was Xerox. You know, that's a name that's been around forever for many of us. But Xerox announced they were laying off part of their workforce. They're trying to reinvent the company. They've got their um, revenues have really been slowing down. So they're uh, pursuing a new business unit operating model is the way they put it, under which the corporation is targeting a 15% workforce reduction in the first quarter of 2024. So unfortunately, um, to start this new year, there's going to be a lot of people getting pink slips. So that 15% um, equals around 3,000 people that are going to, unfortunately, lose their jobs. Now, for investors, why are they doing it? Um, Part of the new operating model the company announced is uh, three key reinvention priorities, is the way they put it. Of course, their core print business, their global business services, and also an IT and digital services arm. So um, they also have... uh, new executive leadership team was was announced as well so we'll see how that goes um like i said if uh, you're one of those three thousand that gets the pink slip that's really a shame and hopefully you'll be able to um you know to to put yourself in a a better spot with the new employer um, and then again um for those that look at it as an investment or just from the financial standpoint you'll have to wait and see how that all works out uh, with this new uh, three key initiative plan uh, that that they have um, that they're going to be talking more about, I'm sure, as time goes by. When we look at the economic data of this week, um, we saw that U.S. construction spending rose less than expected in November. Um, so construction activity, you know, it's been tough in a lot of, uh, segments. The new single family housing segment actually has, w- was helpful in the construction spending because, uh, as you know, there's not much inventory for existing home sales. Um, and that's why we've seen these bidding wars and the prices, uh, continue to escalate for existing home sales. So you have builders that if they were able to get through all the red tape and the, um, you know, the bureaucracy to get some of these new housing, um, projects done, 
then um, that was a, a positive for construction spending. And part of the reason it was up four tenths of one percent, not as much as economists were looking for, um, but still up in any event. And, you know, we had a lot of uh, jobs information this week, this shortened week, because of New Year's being on Monday. And, you know, we basically see that um, as things started to come out, the first report we got was the uh, the jolts report, uh, job openings, turnover lay, uh, layoff survey. Um, and it showed that job openings dropped in the month of November. Actually, it's the biggest drop we've seen in um in more than two years. So the Labor Department on Wednesday said that there were 8.79 million job openings in November. Uh, That was a decrease from the previous month. Um, And this is something that the, the jobs market is something that the Federal Reserve watches and tries to figure out to decide what they're going to do with uh, with interest rates, monetary policy. So um, all of this information that we got this week in the uh, jobs or labor market area was being watched very closely. Initial jobless claims came out on Thursday, uh, 202,000 uh, new Initial claims uh, for state unemployment benefits were submitted. And again, this is all the Labor Department, just uh, the the higher ups in the management and uh, the the secretary. I don't even think they have um, one that's made it through the appointment progress with uh, with the Senate. Um, so who knows what's going on there? But we're back to the the uh, the dog and pony show that we had with Obama Biden, where the Labor Department um, again, not the hardworking people at the Labor Department that care about it and take pride in their job, but the political hacks um, and the sellouts, you know, just continue to to um, to manipulate the numbers. And why I say that is because the previous week, just like almost every previous week, was revised by 2,000, 2,000 more initial claims than what they um, originally reported. Not 200, not, oh, we had just one revision out of the last four months. It's consistent. It's week after week after week. So um, that's, again, why they just don't have that credibility. Eugene Scalia, um, he brought it and um, I think did an excellent job and was very committed and uh, took, uh, you know, pride and honor in being the labor secretary during the last administration. But it was just all unraveled again, just like, like I said, just like the Obama-Biden administration. It's just that administration and damage at 3.0. That's all the the last few years have been. And then we saw a private report by ADP. Their national employment report showed that 164,000 jobs were added um, in December. And um, annual pay rose 5.4% last month. But that's the 15th straight month of slowing growth, according to the report. And you throw in inflation... Um, you know, people are upside down. Folks will say, oh, well, politicians, I should say, will say, oh, well, wages are up. Not enough to keep pace with your inflation that you caused. Just don't even say that. Don't insult people's intelligence. They're the ones standing in the grocery line. They're the ones putting gas in their vehicles. 
They're the ones paying for health care. They're the ones paying for apparel. Don't tell them that they have more money in their pocket. Don't lie to them like that. Keep that to yourself. Because people just don't want to hear it. And unfortunately, you know, what we saw with the big jobs number yesterday, again, people are talking, oh, it's great. It, it was. It's better than expected. 170,000 jobs were expected and 216,000 jobs were added in December, according to the Labor Department. Well, guess what? When you look at their revision... Gains for October and November were revised down by 71,000 jobs. 71,000 jobs over two months. You can't trust these people, what they tell you. Who's going to believe that we really, in this country, added 216,000 jobs in December? When you have this kind of track record coming from the Labor Department. Who's going to believe you? I don't think anybody with common sense is going to believe you. That's for sure. Uh, the last piece is we did get minutes from the uh, the um, Federal Reserve meeting. The final Federal Reserve meeting of 2023 took place on December 12th and 13th. Um, obviously, they didn't do anything at that meeting with interest rates. Um, but the minutes came out from that, and it showed that Um, Most of the participants in that meeting felt that interest rates uh, had kind of peaked. They were right where they needed to be. And may we may see some um, easing in uh, interest rates in 2024. Now, take your pick. Some people were saying there'll be three cuts. Others are saying there'll be six cuts. So right now we're at a range of the Federal Reserve uh, rate of 5.25 to 5.5. So five and a quarter to five and a half. It's the highest level we've been since 2001. It's too much. Uh, Powell and these guys overdid it. Uh, They let inflation get ahead of them, and then they tried to play catch up. And then pal and janet yellen and everybody else is saying transitory and you're sitting there thinking well i guess you're not worried about inflation whether it's transitory or not for real because you know you've got 50 or 100 million dollars in your uh, in your bank account you've already made all your money you know that when you leave you're going to get um what i don't know why but you're going to get uh speaking fees uh just to tell people the wrong thing because again if you can't get inflation right uh, when it's it's right there in your face, why does someone want to pay to sit and listen to you tell them things that probably aren't right? I've I've never figured that out, <laughs> but that's their gig, you know. They're even though they're they're socialists when they're um, in the government position, they want to be capitalist when it comes to themselves. So we're going to take a quick break, and um, when we come back, can't wait. Talk with uh, EJ Antoni. For the first time in 2024. Stay tuned. Spring break down in Panama City. It was 2000 and something. I don't remember a single bar that we didn't show up drunk at. 
So when I first kissed her lips, I know she damn sure tasted whiskey. But she didn't seem to mind. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. I hope your day is going well. I'm glad to have joining us. A friend of the program comes on a few times uh, a year and talks to us about very important uh, financial and economic issues. Mr. E.J. Antoni, he is a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the federal budget. Uh, He focuses on fiscal and monetary policy. I'm sure you've seen EJ. He does an extremely good job in this area. Uh, He works really hard, so you've probably seen him on TV, you've heard him on the radio, you've heard him on podcasts probably, uh, and we're glad to have him join us uh, to talk about some of his uh, recent work and really just some kind of uh, current events, if you will. How are you, EJ? I'm hanging in. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, I told you all fair, but Happy New Year to you. I hope you have a uh, healthy, happy, blessed uh, 2024. Um, Likewise. Thank you. So, like I said, uh, it's a terrible thing to have to talk about, something you know we never wanted to do. But we see that our national debt uh, uh, flipped over to $34 trillion this past week. Uh, that's just it, it's hard for anybody to, I think, get their mind around a trillion dollars. But, you know, when you start talking about 10, 20, 30, 34 trillion, you really lose people. Um, how would you best uh, kind of describe or explain what this amount of U.S. debt means? Well, if we want to try to put it in in like personal terms, I guess you could say, think of it as every child that's born today basically starts their life with a mortgage around their neck, and, and that's their share of the national debt. Uh, and another thing is that it, I think it helps to think of this in terms of how does this actually affect me? Because I'm never actually going to get a bill for that personal mortgage that I have, right? Well, the banking crisis that started back in March, which is still going on, by the way, uh, the frozen housing market, the the record high interest rates on credit cards that we're seeing today, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So many of our current economic problems, it all stems from this ridiculous amount of government spending and borrowing. So there are very real uh, consequences to this level of debt. So um, I've shared in the past, and I guess I'll bring it up again real quick, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was trying to explain to people what a trillion dollars of debt would be, and he said if you took a $1,000 bill and stacked them back to back, it's basically over 60 miles. So depending on where you are, if you're in Washington, D.C., and you go up 95, uh, that will, or down 95, that would get you almost to King's Dominion, if I remember doing my, uh, my math right when I was looking at things. Um, so, you know, you can take 
basically a 60, 60 couple mile trip. And just imagine if you're going down the road and for those bills to be that tight together just for a trillion dollars. And now, you know, we're looking at 34 trillion. Um, it's just like I said, it's it's unfathomable for so many people to understand what this means. And I think you did an excellent job and saying like, you know, you're basically born with debt. You're born poor with this mortgage or whatever type of debt you want to, uh, you know, see it as uh, around your neck. And so like, you know, I mean, me, I'll, I'll probably be okay with where I am in life and with what I've accumulated and with the different uh, decisions I've made to get me where I'm at. But if you're younger, or like you said, if you're, you know, you're, you're, just the kids that are coming into this world, it's going to be really, really hard, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and we see that already. Like, we don't even need to think about future generations. We can just think about the current generation of young people who basically are, are probably, sadly, never going to be able to uh, afford a home, at least not until uh, one of their, um, you know, their parents or another relative passes away and leaves one of those assets to them. Because at this point, we, we have seen home prices be driven up so high from inflation and from the manipulation of interest rates by the Federal Reserve uh, that not only, not only do you have to pay a ridiculous price to own a home today, but now the interest rate that you're going to pay on the mortgage is also at a multi-decade high. And so what's the result? Well, those are the two primary factors that drive up home prices, or excuse me, your, I should say your, your monthly mortgage payment. And so monthly mortgage payments now are just completely unaffordable. The Atlanta Fed, uh, for example, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, they have a, a metric that they use to measure home ownership affordability. And they've determined that in all but five uh, metro areas in the entire country, homes are unaffordable, meaning you are going to spend uh, more than 30 percent of your pay. And that that's gross pay, by the way, that's not even after taxes, you're going to spend more than 30% of your pay, just trying to afford a home. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You actually have have several uh, major areas across the country, we're talking boroughs of New York, different cities in California, where it takes more than 100% of your gross pay to be able to afford a home. In other words, it's literally impossible for anyone making anywhere close to the median income in this country. Yeah, and then if you're lucky enough to get your foot in the door as a young adult or a first-time home buyer, um, and you barely squeak through with the ratio, and we know that you know bank lending has tightened up since that, uh, uh, the, the problems that you referenced that we saw in the spring of 2023, you know, things have tightened up. You've got all the other inflation around you that you have to try to make your monthly budget work with, with higher food and gasoline and healthcare price, and, you know, the whole deal. It's just so hard for these younger folks. I really feel, you know, I, I feel for them. Exactly. And, and yet one of the reasons why, you know, inflation is so low, according to the official government metrics, is because of, of frankly, the ridiculous way we measure some of these things. For example, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where we get the, the consumer price index or the CPI, that's the inflation number we usually talk about each month. Uh, according to them, you have uh, the cost of health insurance plummeting uh, double digits. In other words, 10, 20, 30 percent from this time last year. 
please tell me anybody who has seen their health insurance go down by a third because I can't find anybody. The only people I know of who's who are spending less on health insurance today are those who got dropped, don't have coverage anymore, and haven't been able to find new coverage that was worth the asking price. So those are the only people I know of who are spending less today on health insurance. So things are far worse a lot of times than these official government metrics uh, make it out make it out to be. You know, a- another way in which the CPI really undermeasures inflation is when we talk about housing. They only look at rents. They don't look at home prices. And so the result of that is when you have, like we've seen the last three years, where the cost of owning a home has gone up much, much faster than the cost of renting, although the cost of renting is also at a record high, but the cost to own a home has gone up much, much faster. The, the Bureau of Labor Statistics doesn't look at that at all. They are exclusively looking at rents. And so they are severely undercounting just how bad inflation is in, in a whole host of different uh, ways. And that's one of the reasons why, despite Again, the official numbers, quote unquote, improving over the last year, people still feel very, very sour about this economy. And the president has very bad approval ratings when it comes to his handling of the economy. People are genuinely hurting right now. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's true. Genuinely hurting is is accurate. And, and to your point also, you know, find me your your comment, find me somebody that's paying a third less less in uh, in health insurance. I mean, it's basically anything like when they're being told that uh, inflation's down, you know, all of your costs are down. Nobody says that. I mean, when you sit around, you know, at Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're talking about, you know, different things and, and even, you know, just uh, daily talk with folks or family, there's nobody saying, oh, this is so much better than last month or last year. It's just the opposite. Everybody realizes they're paying more and getting less because, of course, they've seen uh, different things that they buy come in s- smaller quantities nowadays, but, uh, you know, more air in the bag, if you will, the potato chips, um, but they're paying just as much or more for it. So it's it's really hard to find people that, that actually say something like that. That's exactly right. And and really, the only people I've talked to who are who are really substantially better off today than they were two, three, four years ago are those who were already very well off because you know what you typically find during periods of high inflation is that high income earners tend to have incomes which easily adapt to inflation that's for a couple of reasons you know they maybe they're in a better position to uh, to demand raises uh, maybe it's because their incomes are, are just more um, uh, focused on prices, like a commodity broker, for example, who are, who's on a commission. As the price of the things that he sells go up, he's also going to earn a bigger commission. But whatever the case, uh, those who already had high incomes have incomes that are higher still and that have actually uh, uh, had growth rates exceeding inflation. Likewise, people who had a lot of wealth, a lot of assets, whether those were stocks or real estate, you name it, all of those things tend to inflate very well with the general price level. And so they have seen their assets go up in price, typically by about as much as prices generally have. So they're doing just fine. But ironically, it's the the little guy. It's the average American. Uh, It's the blue collar worker who has suffered so much under this president. And, And the reason that's ironic is because we're told this is lunch bucket Joe and right. He's a fighter for the common man. 
I mean, dear goodness, with friends like that, who needs enemies if you're an average American? Yeah, amen to that. Um, before we get to your uh, latest uh, article, The State Escape, um, I just want to get a quick take. You know, um, you've mentioned uh, the, the CPI and, and some uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, you know, the, the latest jobs report that we got showed that employers added 216,000 jobs in December. Uh, that was higher than what uh, people... Uh, well, economists were expecting on consensus of about 170. But I mentioned earlier in the program, when you look further into it and you see that October and November revised down by a total of 71,000 jobs. And this is not just uh, the monthly. This is initial jobless claims, you know, that came out on Thursday. What did we see? Oh, the previous week was revised to show 2,000 more. They have no credibility at the Department of Labor when they come out with these numbers because they always change so drastically. It's not an occasional, um, you know, revision. It's constant and it's negative. It's never to the good. Well, it's also amazing, too. July was literally the only month last year in 2023 uh, that has not been revised down. And so once you account for all the different revisions, it turns out about a quarter of the jobs we initially thought we had were later revised away. And the same thing with, with December. It looks like it was a, a great number where it beat expectations. But as soon as you account for the revisions to November and October that you were just talking about, uh, what happens? It turns out it, it didn't beat expectations. It was a big miss. And we've seen that over and over again with, with all types of data. The same thing with uh, with the uh, GDP, which we use to measure the size of the economy. I mean, routinely with this administration, it, it's absolutely amazing. I don't know if, if they're just the luckiest people ever or what, because everyone pays attention to the headlines and then forgets to look at the revisions. But continuously, the revisions are worse than the initial data that's at first reported. Yeah, uh, spot on. And again, that that's what makes, I think, the listeners of this program and other programs and the people that read your work, um, that's what makes them different is they don't forget and they understand what a headline number is and then dig deep into, uh, you know, not deep, even just, you know, a little more homework or a couple more questions. Um, and, and they don't forget and they realize uh, really what they're being told and how they're being treated. And uh, and that's why they're smarter. We're talking this uh, today with my uh, guest, Mr. E.J. Antoni. He is a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the federal budget. So, E.J., the last... Um, piece that I got in my email box that you had done. It's called The State Escape. Uh, it's a commentary that you did. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you wrote that piece. Well, I did a study uh, a few years ago. It was back in 2021 looking at uh, just how bad taxes are in New York and and the fact that they were just instituting yet another tax increase. And what's essentially happened is that people have had enough and they've decided to leave. And the state has been hemorrhaging people and hemorrhaging jobs and therefore hemorrhaging tax revenue. And, and that bleeding is going to continue until the lawmakers in New York uh, decide that it's time to reverse course because their policies simply aren't working. And unfortunately, they just show no sign of doing that. And so New York continues to get beat up year after year. 
And that's actually, uh, I mean, you, like you said, you did your study uh, specifically on New York, and and uh, that's what the, the, the piece is on. But I actually, when I referred earlier that we were going to be talking, it's the it's really, it, it's uh, universal almost, whether it's a big city, a medium-sized city, even small cities, um, if they don't have the correct leadership, you see all the same problems. You see overspending, you see... Um, crime rates increasing. You see, unfortunately, drug addictions and overdoses increasing. And like you had mentioned, you wait for these politicians to see the light and make a change. Number one, who knows if that's going to happen. But number two, often I think they're going to find that it's too late. The horse is out of the barn. Right. Absolutely. And and we've seen this again and again in different places around the country. Like you said, it's not just simply New York. It's not just simply the large cities. Anytime you have a locale that decides to go down this road of overtaxing, overspending, overregulating, and then let's throw in all the soft on crime policies on top of it to make things really hellish for people. What happens? The, the residents say enough is enough and I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And, and you know, one of the things that, uh, that a lot of people claim today is that, oh, people are just leaving northern states like New York to go to a state like Florida because it's nicer weather. That's all. And that's a lot of it's just people retiring, you know, baby boomers, blah, blah, blah. Please explain to me then why people are leaving California uh, about as quickly when California is some of the best weather in the country. And they're leaving California to go to live in the mountains of Utah where they have absolutely brutal winters. You know, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the weather. Maybe it's just about things like taxes and crime. And and going back to New York, we see the same thing there where New York is is losing people to a place like Wyoming. Why? Because you're going to pay literally half, half of the taxes in Wyoming that you're paying in New York, except Wyoming has even more brutal winners than, than New York State does, and yet people are choosing to go there. Yeah, and and um, I'm glad you use that state. I use that state a lot because I think it's uh, it's uh, looked over or looked past. But people talk about no income, uh, no state income taxes, and they always talk about you know Florida and Texas and Tennessee and all. But there's others out there that, like you said, when you do your homework and you see um, wherever you think you might be moving, just how well uh, the area. I mean, the state overall, but also just the area that you may be moving to is run. Um, it really helps you make an educated decision and, um, and, and you keep a whole lot of uh, money in your pocket, like you said. Right, right exactly. And, you know, that, that counts especially so for, for all of those individuals that have high incomes. And when you look at states like New York, what do they do? They overwhelmingly uh, have those higher tax burdens on high uh, high income individuals. And you know, issues of fairness aside, you can think whatever you want about how fair that is. But at the end of the day, you're discouraging those high income earners from living there. And so, what are they choosing to do? They're choosing to leave. And when they do so, they are taking the bulk of the state's tax revenue with them. And that's a key reason why states like like New York, like Illinois, like California, you can go right down the list of all these high-tax states, why they continue to have these budget shortfalls and they continue to overestimate how much tax revenue they're actually going to get. It's because everyone's deciding to up and leave because they're sick of paying these high taxes. And what do they get for it? 
you know, they, they have crime-filled streets, and those streets are, are filled with potholes. It's not like they're smooth as glass for all the tax revenue that they're having to pay. People are beginning to wonder, what on earth am I getting for all of the taxes that I'm having to fork over to my government? Yeah, and the really sad part uh, to that, too, is for the people that can't leave. You know, it's it's one thing if you have the option to get out of Dodge, but for people literally are upside down, you know, on their mortgage or whatever the case might be that just can't leave, even though they really want to, that's got to be a terrible, terrible uh, place to be. Well, certainly, it's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why issues like Uh, the ability for parents to send their kids to whatever school they want and not to be locked into their local failing public school are are so huge in in trying to break these cycles of intergenerational poverty. You know, the only people who can't leave, like you said, are are those who are not of means. And so they're stuck where they are. They're stuck in in these, frankly, crime-ridden hellholes. And the only way out for them is going to be a, a good education. And so you need to have policies in place that allow parents to send their kids to whatever school they want, because that is their ticket out of poverty. That is their ticket, you know, again, out of these horrendous uh, liberal inner cities. Yep. No, excellent point. I'm glad you uh, you got that in. Uh, our guest today, Mr. E.J. Antoni, friend of the program. You can go to heritagefoundation.org and check out his writings. Anywhere else people can uh, find you on um, social media, E.J.? Best place to follow me is going to be on X, and the handle there is at Real E.J. Antoni. You can find all the articles I write, uh, a lot of the TV interviews I do, and also all of the daily um, data uh, that I go through and, and put in simplified terms so that anybody can understand it. Yep. No, I appreciate that. And that's why we're glad that you come on the program occasionally and do that for uh, for our audience as well. Um, so go to, uh, to X uh, and uh, follow EJ Antoni and, um, and check out all his work. All right, EJ, thank you so much. Keep working hard. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, sir. All right, take care. All right, that does it. Uh, We're up against a hard break. And, um, you know, EJ uh, and other folks at Heritage and obviously, you know, a lot of the folks that we have the privilege of talking to and and uh and learning from um will be on hopefully more in 2024 next week uh dr ben carson is going to be uh joining me we're going to be talking about um uh his uh his his foundation and and just all the good things that that they've got going on um there in the carson family so uh join me for that and i will talk to you on the morning news express with uh bob miller and uh chris and i will you know all three of us will uh, get you through the business updates uh 5 50 a.m 6 50 a.m and 7 50 a.m that's monday through uh friday on the morning news express and then um like i said we'll be back here next um next uh weekend and it'll be Dr. Ben Carson. So have a great rest of the weekend and a good upcoming week. And once again, um, Happy New Year to everybody. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com.